Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Uh, there's an old saying, uh, I've heard this, I think all of my life, and I've even heard a few country songs who stole the phrase, but it goes like this. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Uh, please don't quote Aaron Tippin or try to sing that this morning, but if you've heard that phrase, you know what it is. If you're not convinced that some things are true, then you're going to fall under pressure when you have to defend those beliefs. Of course, this begs the question, what do you stand for? What are those things in which you will die on the hill because you know they are true? Uh, a wise person once told me, and I found a lot of truth in this, is that there's a big difference between opinions and convictions. Opinions are those things that, that you hold. They can come and go. Convictions are those things, rather, that hold you. Opinions could be this morning that you enjoyed the music. Uh, an opinion this morning could be you wish Robert were preaching. An opinion this morning could be all kind of things. But a conviction is rather, no, this is something that grounds me, that I can't move off this no matter what kind of pressure is put upon me. Things like Jesus really did rise from the grave. Things like God really did create the world. Now, for me to try to convince you to believe one of my convictions is true is a deeply personal matter. I would only do it if I knew without question that it was real because I had experienced it. So let me state a conviction to you this morning, and our passage is going to prove it. God loves you in Christ because he wants to love you. That's the conviction. The grace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ comes to us freely. And now as we look at our passage today, the issue that is before us is that Paul is aiming to convince this very confused church that the good news of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is real. He did not make it up. He didn't create it. No, rather, it was given to him. His intent was to persuade, even to convince these believers to stand strong because what he is saying is true. And he's going to convince it convince them by sharing his own story. He had to convince them or otherwise they were going to fall under pressure from the enemies of the church. And if they did that, then the enjoyment of the freedom that they have in Christ would be lost. I love uh, that we sang this morning that Stephen chose for us uh, uh, the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Some of you probably know this. It was written by the great reformer Martin Luther. 
And he referred to the book of Galatians as, I don't know if you know this, he called the book of Galatians his wife. I find that very peculiar. However, it does reveal the significance of this book. That this freedom that we have in Christ is so important that we must fight to understand it and to embrace it. Freedom is the theme of our life as we are followers in Christ. And anyone who would try to take that from us, we must stand firm against it. So as we saw last week, uh, as Will preached to us, that Paul is angry at this point in the letter. He is angry at the church in Galatia because they are considering a belief in Jesus plus something else. And whatever that something else is, is an idol, and it is robbing them of their joy. So now we get into the ways in which Paul will instruct the church that free grace is the only true Christianity, which sets us up for the rest of the book. Just as an aside, uh, the book of Galatians breaks down nicely into three parts. Chapters 1 and 2 are all about Paul's testimony of free grace in his own life. Chapters 3 and 4, the theology of free grace. And chapters 5 and 6, as we'll see in the coming weeks, are applications of free grace. But this morning, we delve more into Paul's testimony. So here's my proposition for us today. You can stand firm in your faith because the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. So embrace it all. All right, two points for us this morning to be convinced that this is true. First, See the uniqueness of Paul's story in Christ. And then secondly, see the uniqueness of your own story in Christ. And may these truths convict our souls this morning to stand strong. So first, the uniqueness of Paul's story. You can see in verse 13 as he is delving into the reality of what is true. You know, the best way to convince anyone that something that you believe is true is simply to tell them what has happened to me. Because you can't argue with what has happened to me. When I tell you what's happened to me, I know that it's true because it's really true. And that's exactly what Paul is going to do. The enemies of Paul in this day were called the Judaizers. And they aimed to discredit him and the message he was preaching. Their intent, if they could convince everyone that Paul was crazy, then these Christians would give up their belief in free grace and return to the Jewish system and all of its political and economic systems. And Paul, who loved this church, would have none of it. So he shares his personal testimony, which could not be refuted. We see that Paul had, in his former way of life, been a passionate persecutor of the church. His Jewish pedigree pedigree trained him in the Old Testament law in such a way that he and his colleagues moved away from the original purpose of the law altogether. The Old Testament law was to point people to the person of Christ, but for them, Jesus got in the way because he messed with their system. Paul and his former way of life, friends, created a lifestyle of keeping the law so Jesus' work to fulfill it got in their way. So Paul, and of course then named Saul, became the number one critic and destroyer of the church of Jesus Christ. His group of people murdered Christians and they considered their actions to be noble and pleasing. Paul was a horrible man, yet he was brilliant and unfortunately skilled at his work. 
Their purpose was to seek and destroy everything about Jesus so that their position of influence could not be threatened. And Christians were forced to flood to avoid the suffering and persecution which Saul sought to give. But then, of course, as we read in Acts chapter 9, and Robert preached upon last year, something happened to Saul. And that is the person of Jesus Christ revealed himself to him. One of the most important moments in world history literally happened where Jesus revealed himself to a person. Verse 16 of Galatians 1, Jesus opened Saul's eyes by the power of the Spirit and converted his evil heart, changing him from the inside out and giving him a whole new set of desires. Resulting in verse 18, Paul no longer returning to his quest of destroying the church, but rather to a place in Arabia for three years where he was oriented into a whole new way of life and a whole new way of thought. Paul left his former group of friends, his other persecutors, away from his place of influence, away from what he knew to be normal to essentially be removed out of the game so that he could be oriented into a life of faith, a life of prayer, a life of walking in step with the Spirit, a life of learning the applications of free grace. So please see what happened in Paul's life. He was at the top of the pecking order. He was in the most esteemed group in his day. He was highly respected and his influence was only growing. And now upon meeting Jesus, he became one of those who his friends were seeking to destroy. Here's the point. There was zero human reason for him to switch sides. Nothing about this made sense. He didn't make this up. He was either crazy or he actually had encountered God in the person of Christ. I I tried to think of a good modern day equivalent, and honestly, every example I came up with probably would offend someone. But just imagine somebody on the far left joining the side of the far right, or somebody on the far right on the far left. Let your imagination run wild. I tried an example in the first service. I don't think it worked. Uh, But let your imagination figure that out. The point is, what Paul did, this was no way to gain friends and influence people. He became the hunted. And Paul's point in sharing his story was simply this. I want you to see, Galatians, my story happened and it's real. You can trust me. He's simply providing credibility to these Christians that their faith in Jesus, his free grace was believable. Look what I have given up. Look what I have become. Notice the other points he makes. Verse 11, he simply says, I didn't make it up. Verse 12, I didn't learn it. Verse 16, I didn't compare notes with anyone else. Verse 22, I didn't get it from any other churches. No, Paul was shouting to them and to us, listen to me. Jesus came and revealed himself to me, and it's true. If he had not, I would not be suffering as I am. I can't leave this part of the passage out. It's not the main part, but it stood out to me so much this week. Look at verse 18 and notice the people with whom Paul spoke and shared fellowship with. 
I love a good small group where a group of people get together and sit around and talk about the Lord and pray to the Lord. Consider this group of people. Paul mentions that he only met with two other apostles. You know why? Only two? Scholars think there's a good chance because all the other apostles were scared to meet with him out of fear that perhaps he was a double agent and this was part of his ongoing pursuit to destroy them. It's possible. But here's Cephas, who is Peter, was willing to meet with him. Peter, the former coward who denied Jesus to a little girl, is now willing to meet the great persecutor of the faith. And in all the great moments of world history, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall and listen into the conversation. Consider for 15 days in Jerusalem this small group and what they must have discussed. Here were three men together talking about Jesus. Peter, the fisherman, who walked on earth with Jesus, even briefly walked on water with Jesus, the denier of Jesus, and the one who was restored by Jesus. But then James, the biological half-brother of Jesus, who could tell stories about Mary and Joseph, who knew Jesus as a teenager, who could verify the fact that he never sinned. And here's Paul, the great persecutor of the faith, who Jesus blinded so that he could actually see. These three together, remembering that where Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm with you. So here's these three men and Jesus together in a small group talking about him and to him. How incredible that would have been. Can you imagine the stories they must have shared? Don't you know Paul wanted to hear about the empty tomb? Don't you know Peter wanted to hear more about the persecution? Scripture doesn't say, so we're merely speculating, but here's the point. Paul is saying, the three of us did not get together and make up the story. The three of us all had the same story. Jesus opened our eyes, saw our need of sin, and showed us the cross. That's it. Their lives validated the same story. They were all saying the same thing. God took their sins away. God gave them his spirit, all because of Jesus' work. So to us and to the Galatians, you can believe the good news of Jesus because this message was not made up. Paul's life demonstrates that. So that's first. Have conviction this morning based on the testimony of Paul. But I would also encourage you this morning to stand firm in your conviction of faith because of the uniqueness of our own stories. We can't leave this out. As we look at Paul's testimony and compare that to the rest of Scripture, we see that what happened to Paul, though his story was particularly unique, is also similar, though, to what happened to each of us if we know Jesus. None of us has the exact same testimony of Paul. If you go to Damascus, I doubt you're going to be blinded by a light. If that happens, let us know. I doubt it's going to happen. But yet, we are equally saved. Let me mention three ways in which Paul's testimony reminds us this morning of our own stories. The first thing we we see with Paul's life is that the gospel is personal. There is a personal story, an individual story, that we have our own stories. You see, Paul told his story because it is what happened to him. He didn't tell us this just to impress us. He told us this because that's what happened. So please see this morning, 
Yes, we are one body. But Jesus calls us individually to come and to know him. Paul represents the fact that both the uber-religious and the uber-pagan both need the gospel. If you are excessively religious trying to earn your way to heaven, please see you'll never get there. Paul could not. But if you are a murderer and a criminal and a thief, please see that the cross can save you as well. Wherever you are, God is calling you to Christ. So whether your testimony is boring or whether it is salty with all kind of craziness, people personally come to know Jesus. So maybe this morning you grew up in a Christian family and you were taught all about the Lord your entire life and that is your story. Hallelujah that that's your story. Or maybe you came to life at a Young Life camp or a campus ministry or a friend talked to you about the Lord or that you heard the gospel on the radio. There are all kinds of ways in which that could happen. But please know, you have a story if you know Jesus. I would just ask you this morning, do you know your testimony? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you personally done that? Please see that Jesus loves you this morning. He's calling you this morning. He wants you this morning. The second thing we see from Paul's life and how it reveals hope for us is to just hear again that the gospel is, quote, given to us. This is beautiful, quote, unquote, Pauline theology. As we hear what happened in his life, it reminds me of the words that Jesus said in John chapter 6. It says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Please see this morning, church, that we are so broken by sin. Not only can we not come to know the Lord, we would never want to come to know the Lord unless the Lord initiated and drew us by a spirit to him. I teach the kids in the kids' membership class when they meet with me uh, that because of our sin, if we can't go to God, our only hope is that he will come to us. And it's verse 15. That's exactly what the Lord has done. I cannot explain all parts of this, but please this morning, if you know Jesus, embrace the mystery and enjoy what is yours. Even before you were born, God had set you apart. You needed him your entire life. And he has been pursuing you your entire life. You see this morning, the story of a Christian is that God through the spirit and the message of this book has opened your eyes. He did it. He receives the praise. He gets the glory. He is honored. You see, church, this morning, we are not proud people. We are thankful people. If you know Jesus today, then you can have full assurance that God's favor on you is eternal, it is rich, and it is powerful, and he will never leave you. Stand strong this morning. He's alive inside of you. Let your convictions hold you. So the gospel's personal, the gospel's given. Lastly here, notice that the gospel is comprehensive. But what I mean by that is this is that your entire story of your life is redeemed by Jesus. Think again of Paul's life. Here he is preaching free grace and being able to defend the gospel against everything from the Old Testament and how the Old Testament led its way to the cross. 
There was not one person in the face of the earth more qualified to tell that story than the Apostle Paul. Because of his background and everything that he had been trained to do, he was eminently qualified to preach this message. So see this morning for you, in God's mysterious ways, God uses the pain in which you have endured, the skills in which you have, the suffering in which you have bore, the loss in which you have had to persevere. Your whole life is transformed. Your past matters because the Lord is redeeming it all for his glory. You may consider a season of your life to have been one of waste or of loss or of whatever. But in the providence of God's overall salvation and redemption of your life, he who set you apart before you were born will somehow use your entire story for eternity. So therefore, bring all you have to him. Everything that you have, trust him with it. He cares for every bit of your life, your past, your present, your future. His love for you is comprehensive. How do we stand strong in our faith? You look at Paul's story. It's real. It really happened. You look at your story and be reminded God is the one who has done it all. We aren't making this up. Jesus did it. He gave it to us. He has given us his grace. So now as we transition to the table this morning, I want to close with the words of a new Christian song that I heard this past week. I promise I will not sing these words. But I'm going to read the first stanza here. This is uh, a song called My Jesus. It's written by a girl who grew up in our community, Ann Wilson. Some of you surely know her. Uh, These are words that she wrote in response to a personal tragedy. So if your faith needs to be deeply uh, uh, convicted this morning that he is true, hear these words again. Wilson writes, He makes a way where there ain't no way. He rises up from an empty grave. There ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is, I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. People, he's real. He's true. You can trust him. We pray and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come around his table this morning. Well, Father, as we think of your word, as we think of your gospel, we are reminded this morning that that your promises to us are are true. Lord, we did not make this up. We could not have achieved the Spirit apart from you giving yourself to us. So, Father, I pray this morning for your people, wherever we are this morning, wherever our faith needs to be strengthened, would you provide that through this meal, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.